electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pot. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, test provider LabCorp on the front lines of the fight against pandemic. And the CEO says 100,000 weekly tests are still not enough. I believe social distancing has to continue under all circumstances in the foreseeable future. And begging for a multi-billion dollar bailout. Boeing CEO David Calhoun. The best option, the simplest option, is an injection of liquidity and and, uh, a reopening of the credit market. Two CEOs, two takes on lifting the world from COVID turmoil. It's Tuesday, March 24th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. We are watching. First up on today's podcast, over a billion people worldwide are under shelter-in-place orders as governments, healthcare workers, and drug makers attempt to curb the coronavirus pandemic. One of the companies on the front lines of this pathogen fight, LabCorp. LabCorp ramping up testing capacity for COVID-19. That company announcing uh, last week it has the ability now to perform 20,000 tests per day. Joining us right now on the phone uh, to talk about it is LabCorp CEO uh, Adam Schechter. Good morning to you, Adam. Um, and thank you for joining us. You know, we're having a, a big conversation about testing and ha- the key and importance of testing. Uh, you guys are at 20,000 a day. The question is, what do we need? What's, what's the actual number of tests that we're ultimately going to need? And how quickly do you think they will be made available? Yes. Good morning, Andrew, Becky, Joe. Thanks for having me here today. Uh, I also want to thank my colleagues at LabCorp. I'll tell you, they are working every day relentlessly to perform as many tests as they can and to increase our capacity. There's no doubt we're all focused on bringing this unprecedented pandemic under control. So let me give you some numbers. Uh, you know, we launched our test about two and a half weeks ago. And as of this morning, we've reported results for over 100,000 people. And if you look at the next week, we'll be able to do more than 100,000 in a week. You mentioned that we can already do 20,000 or more a day. By the end of this week, we'll have even more capacity than that. But it's not just about LabCorp. When you think about the other national, regional, local labs, academic medical centers, the other hospitals and the state labs, everybody is increasing capacity. So the capacity this week is significantly more than last week, and next week will be significantly more than this week. Right now, we continue to do the PCR testing, but in the future, there'll be point of care testing that we'll be able to do in hospitals. There'll also be uh, blood testing that'll help us understand the epidemiology of the disease and so forth. So I think that the capacity building continues. It's impossible to know the exact number that we'll need, but I know that we are all gonna build as much capacity as we can. Adam, though, but in terms of the speed and scale of all of this, one of the things the president has been talking about even the last 24 hours is trying to get uh, people or at least some people back to work as quickly as possible, possibly even next week. Um, I would imagine that would therefore require lots of testing. At least that's what health experts are saying. You need to get to a point where there's enough testing out there if, if younger people are going to be uh, 
no longer social distancing necessarily in the way that they are right now. What do you think is a realistic timeline to have enough tests for a big portion of the U.S., at least the younger uh, generation, if this is the direction we're going to go, to be able to be tested? Yeah, so the first thing I'd say is that I believe social distancing has to continue under all circumstances in the foreseeable future. And washing hands and the other things that the CDC has recommended should continue under all circumstances. I believe that the capacity that we have for testing is going to increase very significantly over the next several weeks to months. But in addition to that, I believe the serum test will become more and more important to understand who has had the disease uh, or the virus in the past. Hey, Adam, um, something uh, that, that uh, is really a factor here is the, you know, the, how many people are, are in hospitals and, and the amount of, of medical personnel that we have, the amount of equipment we have. So a person takes a test and it really looks like they might have it. So you, if you don't know for a matter of days whether they have it or not, I'm told that the medical uh, people around the, that person in the hospital have to use all that equipment, all the gowns, all the masks. Uh, They have to pretend or assume the person actually has it so that's not being used for other people. And then only 10% have it, so they've wasted three or four days uh, of treating the person as if he had coronavirus. I I mean, time is of the essence here, is it not? We need a, a test that comes back in hours. So two things. One is there are tests that will be made available that will work quickly. The PCR point-of-care test that should be launched in the not-too-distant future with uh, companies like Cephalide, uh, we can actually run those tests in certain hospitals. In addition to that, I don't know if you've heard about the prioritization that's been asked for. So we've been asked to prioritize hospitalized patients and healthcare facility workers with symptoms. And we're doing everything we can this week to figure out how can we ensure that we prioritize those people in hospitals first for all the reasons that you just mentioned. And we will have a solution for that and be able to turn around the hospital inpatients faster as we move forward. Hey, Adam, another question. Yesterday we had the Roche CEO on. He told us that it will be weeks, if not months, before anybody who wants to get a test can get tested. Does that sound right to you? So the bottom line is, as we increase capacity, it depends on how many people are going to need the test. Some people are going to need the PCR test, the ones that we're able to run in a few days. But in addition to that, I believe that serum tests will be available in the not-too-distant future. Those tests will be utilized to help understand who has had the disease, and uh, I think that's going to be very helpful. And you can run those faster, and you can do a lot more of those quicker. Adam, you, you keep saying that, that this is all coming soon, and I think people want to get a real sort of timeline of what soon really looks like, especially given that the president is now talking about revisiting or revising the idea of social distancing starting as early as next week, which I know uh, it sounds like you, you don't believe is the best course. But nonetheless, in terms of the timeline, which is what I think, uh, frankly, every family wants to understand, what every business leader wants to understand, what every politician and investor wants to understand, what does the timeline look like to you? Simply from a testing perspective, put aside the curve for now. Yeah, so two things I'd say. First of all, Uh, What I said about social distancing is that under all circumstances, whether people go back to work in the next weeks or not, I think that that's going to be important until we have the pandemic fully under control. 
Second of all, the capacity for testing is increasing significantly every single week. And it's not just LabCorp, but all the other national laboratories, all the regional laboratories, academic medical centers. So I think that that is going to substantially increase over the next several weeks. And we're, we're talking, but you know, to the point of what, but Adam, 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 just put, put, put some numbers on it. I mean, do you think we will be at a million tests, two million tests, three million? Are we going to have that type of capacity? Well, like I said, LabCorp right now can do 100,000 or more a week. By the end of this week, we should be able to do a lot more than that. But then you have to add in all the other tests that are being done around the country, and it is significantly more than that. But then when you start to think about serum tests, I think you can do hundreds of thousands of those as well. So in total, we will have a very significant capability over the next several weeks. And then uh, final question for you, Adam. Uh, what do you charge per test? So it's currently the Medicare price that we charge for everybody, which is just over $51. Fair enough. Uh, Adam, uh, thank you for all the work that your company is doing. And uh, all we can say is uh, we, hope, uh, we hope you can even do it faster than you're doing it already. So thanks again. Next on Squawk Pod, Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun says if government aid is not forthcoming, the troubled company still has other options. Our job is simply to provide short-term liquidity to all of industry, and yes, uh, aviation and the airlines, because I believe we're at the point of the spear. Back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Our next story on the podcast... Boeing's one-two punch. A brutal month. The stock has fallen just about 60% in March, capping off a brutal year for the airplane manufacturer, with the coronavirus adding more stress to a company already under pressure due to the grounding of the 737 MAX. The entire MAX jet fleet has been grounded since last March, following two deadly crashes related to software glitches in the plane. Yesterday, Boeing announced it is closing its Puget Sound production facilities for two weeks for cleaning and maintenance due to the escalating COVID-19 pandemic, which has hit the Pacific Northwest region particularly hard. This comes a day after an employee working on the Boeing 787 Dreamliner died due to coronavirus. All of this as lawmakers in Washington consider a multi-billion dollar bailout for Boeing. The company's leader is David Calhoun. David Calhoun, he's got a very easy company to run. He just took over Boeing. Where's David? David, where's David? Stand up, David. See, you didn't want to stand. Let me tell you, it's not your fault. You just got there. You'll straighten it out quickly, please. Calhoun took over the corner office earlier this year after first being elevated from director to board chairman due to the somewhat rocky performance of predecessor Dennis Mullenberg during the dark initial days following the losses of the passengers and crew on board the two crashed Max jets. Calhoun joined us in January as he was looking ahead. The media, my customers, our employees, they'll judge me every step of the way here. I'm not going to predict it's going to be perfect. Um, 
But what I will do is I will, I will put realism into every one of our assessments every step of the way, and I will listen to everybody that's involved directly in the process. Much can change in just two months as Boeing's crisis year continues. Here's David Calhoun today on Squawk Box with Joe, Becky, Andrew, and CNBC airline correspondent Phil LeBeau. Mr. Calhoun, thanks for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Can you uh, describe the, what your efforts are right now? Uh, to deal with uh, the the multifaceted situation facing your company. Thank you, Joe. Um, let me just start with the uh, the virus itself. Um, it's affected and impacted all of the families that are represented by associates across the Boeing company. Um, we pay attention to it every day, every morning. We uh, rally the teams. Um, we have efforts going broadly across the company to support Healthcare workers in all the communities that we serve, uh, we're doing work on ventilators like many others. Uh, and I have to say there are some inspiring stories that are out there with respect to the work of government officials, local and state government officials, and the healthcare workers are incredible. So let me just acknowledge that first. Uh, our, our decision in the Puget Sound, which is a big one, because it's, it is the factory that represents roughly 80% of our production, uh, to shut down for 14 days is, uh, has been coordinated with the Washington state government. It's the right thing to do. Uh, we monitor, we have protocols to make sure that we stay ahead of the spread of the virus. And this was a decision, honestly, that was easy to make simply for the safety of our people. How would you, uh, how would you like the help from the federal government to, to be structured? In, 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 if you were able to just dictate exactly how it was done, uh, David, and by that I mean, no one can imagine, uh, anyway, maybe I'm speaking for myself, I can't imagine the United States uh, not being in the, uh, the airliner business, obviously. So it, it, it seems like a very necessary company for, for us to, uh, to make sure that it, that, that it survives. But given some of the, the uh, criticism that you're hearing about what the money was spent on in the past, buybacks, et cetera. We got, you know, the last CEO got the stock up to over 400. How should this be, be structured to, to blunt that criticism that you're inevitably, inevitably going to get uh, from getting aid from the government? This is different than any of those past situations. We have a virus. It is going to take its toll. It's going to uh, move uh, according to the ep- epidemiologists and along a curve. We're going to get to the other side of the curve. And our job is simply to provide short-term liquidity to all of industry. And yes, uh, aviation and the airlines, because I believe we're at the point of the spear, provide liquidity and keep our industry and our people warm so that when the recovery comes, we're ready to go. Um, I think it's that simple. And so uh, I have always lobbied with the administration and with our congressional officials that the simpler, the shorter term in nature, the better. Um, and uh, anyway, I think I think all of the comparisons to past uh, packages is, is, is leads us in the wrong direction. Hey, Dave, this is uh, Phil LeBeau. Uh, you guys are seeking 60 billion dollars, not just for Boeing, but for the entire aviation supply chain. If you didn't get that money, would we see bankruptcies among some of your suppliers? Would Boeing potentially be skirting close to bankruptcy? I know you've got plenty of liquidity, but how urgent is the need? Well, uh, Phil, you're right. Uh, we do have liquidity. We've, uh, we have uh, $15 billion in the bank. Um, uh, we are uh, paying our suppliers. Uh, you know, every dollar we, uh, we 
either take by way of debt or any other source of cash, 70 cents goes directly to the industry and the supply chain that, that underlies us. Um, so we'll continue to pay current, and we think we can get through this, and we can. there are a lot of options for us in the private markets, et cetera, but the credit markets have to be open. And uh, the burst of liquidity that Secretary Mnuchin has been uh, articulating on your show and, and broadly I think is exactly the right answer. We need to know the credit markets are open, not just for us, but for the entire supply chain. Dave, one other question. Uh, You guys got a backlog of about 5,400 planes. Um, How concerned are you, given what's happening with the airline, not only here in North America and Europe, but around the world, uh, and the fact that they're under immense pressure, that you're going to see some deferrals, if not outright cancellations, uh, let's say over the next nine months to a year? Yeah, so we, you know, we look at every customer everywhere in the world and we make that evaluation pretty much every day. And if there are, if there are airlines we worry about either because they're, they're just not strong enough and or we don't think the state support will be there in these uh, various countries around the world, then we make decisions on what we do with our skyline. Um, at least at this stage, there, there's nothing that is so precipitous that makes us want to change our course and to keep our workforce uh, employed and ready to meet demands as the economy returns. I will, I, I will say, just as a, a litmus test for what I think will come, already China's returning. Uh, the domestic travel is, is returning. Uh, they are talking to us about their orders, and they are talking to us about future orders. So I, I really do believe when we get through this curve and we start going down the other side, this economy will slowly, steadily recover, and I just want everybody to be ready for it. That, that is what I hope our congressional uh, uh, folks are working on now. Uh, Dave, one last question for me. It's been a couple of years since you guys have logged uh, an order, a new order, from a Chinese airline. Do you expect that you're going to see one, let's say, before the end of the year? Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to predict it month by month, uh, Phil, but I have a lot of confidence that we are going to have orders with, uh, with China the trade deal that was done before, of course, the virus rolled out broadly um, and slowed things down, that trade deal is good for us. It's good for China. It's good for the Chinese airlines. And it's inevitable that, uh, that they're going to want Boeing airplanes. Dave, a uh, question about these loans uh, and specifically uh, Pat Toomey yesterday on our air um, said that one of the reasons for the secrecy or transparency issues around some of these loans and how they're going to be set up with the Treasury in terms of uh, taxpayers not being able to see that information for six months, which is an issue, it sounds like, for the Democrats on one side, uh, is based on uh, protecting effectively our national uh, defense and security. Um, The idea that we don't want rival countries to know that certain other uh, companies, I imagine like yours, might be getting certain loans and what size. Today we heard uh, from Senator Portman that the reason for that was actually quite different, uh, that it was actually about preventing creditors from knowing uh, that the government had lent them money. By the way, I'm getting emails from people saying that that could be considered credit fraud. Um, as a CEO who's sitting in the middle of that, both in terms of whether you would disclose this to your creditors and whether you think that there is a national security issue uh, if people know that you're getting loans, what do you think of that? Well, I think your question is right on the mark, um, and I. So uh, I would. It's impossible for me to think that I would not disclose 
anything I was getting, either by way of government support or not, with the exception of defense provisions. Uh, and while I have not heard much about that as a, as a motive for doing this, um, uh, anything related to defense, um, anything that they want to protect, they should, and we would stand by them. But the other subject of whether we would hide anything from a creditor, um, that's of no interest to me. It would put me in an impossible position, and I don't think I could, I don't think I could subscribe to it. Hey, Dave, let me just ask you, you mentioned that you guys have $15 billion. Obviously, that's a lot of cash to have at hand. But I start thinking about all the things you're trying to do by continuing to pay your employees, pay your suppliers, and, and do all of this while you're not getting money coming in from the customers who had ordered these 737 maxes. What's your cash burn? Well, uh, we, we will if, 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 um, if there is no uh, government support and if the markets don't open, the credit markets don't reopen, um, it'll be fairly quick, but we can still find our way to the other side. Now, if it goes on for eight months, probably not, but we'll find our way to the other side, and I'm confident in that. We have lots of different options to consider. The best option, the simplest option, the one that protects most people, the empo- our employees, the supply chain, and their employees, is an injection of liquidity and, and uh, a reopening of the credit markets. Um, I really believe this is that simple, and I'm hoping and praying they get it done. I, I hope they do, too. If they don't, what's option B? Is it to stop paying suppliers first and then your employees? Well, remember, we have a, you know, we do have a, a substantial and solid defense business, which is doing quite well. And the Defense Department is trying at this moment in time to uh, accelerate payments into the industry, et cetera. So we have a good business there. We have a solid services business that it's down for obvious reasons, but uh, it will come back quickly. Um, so uh, we're a little better off than most people think, and I'm not going to bet that uh, that nothing uh, loosens up in the credit market. I'm, I'm going to assume they're going to get this done. Um, and if we need to pursue other options in private markets that are a little more unusual, we will. I don't think we'll get to that, but we'll do what we have to do, and we'll protect the long-term uh, you know, uh, uh, outlook for our shareholders. However, the, the government help works out, not just for Boeing, but for, for just private industry in general in, in the United States. The one side of the aisle is, is definitely going to continue to raise the, the, the buyback issue. And I'm sure some of these uh, these uh, the help is going to be uh, structured in a way that 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 issue is addressed. It's been pointed out uh, that Boeing did buy back, I don't know, what, 38, 40 billion dollars uh, worth worth of, uh, of stock um, in the past would would that happen again? What what would your future be for it? Sometimes buybacks are, are very necessary, but or or they they help a company. What would your uh, comments be on whether you continue to do that in the future, a year from now, two years from now? Well, a year from now or two years from now, we we're, we're not going to be buying anything back. Um, we do have an increase in debt as a result of our max. Um, we'll pay that down as the max starts to move out, and it will. Um, our first objective is to pay down debt and get back to the balance sheet that we had before any of this started, before the MAC started and before the viruses started. So that'll take us a few years for sure. So um, I think this decision is so far out there, it's not something I worry about. And okay, but attaching it, attaching it to a bill, in my view, is a, is, is a little bit the sleeves out of our vest. Okay. What would you do? You expect there to be provisions in uh, in the language of all of the help the government gives now that, that somehow precludes buybacks or addresses that? I mean, even the president, uh, President Trump, uh, has said that that uh, he doesn't think the money should be used for buybacks in the future. How would you structure that? Well, I don't think the money should be used for 
for buybacks. Um, you know, I think that's I think that's a fair comment. But when you finish and you complete and you pay it all back, uh, trying to trying to then extend it beyond the the use of that loan, um, that to me seems a little silly. Uh, but to be honest with you, it's it's of, of of the things being discussed. I mean, this one bothers me the least. Um, I don't think it's it's not the right thing to do. Again, uh, I think we're trying to solve problems um, that other than the natural disaster we're facing. Uh, uh, I think we need short-term money. Uh, we need to uh, get the credit markets back on their feet, uh, provide liquidity, and get on with things so that we can get to the other side of the curve here. Right. Uh, I mean, I agree. But you can see even in just trying to get this bill done right now, there's a lot of ancillary things that are going to be talked about uh, in spite of uh, the need. Andrew has a question. Andrew? Well, Dave, and I just but to this issue of buybacks and, and, and it's an issue that confronts your company, confronts all the companies that have been doing it for the past decade. In retrospect, and I know it's with hindsight, do you regret all the buybacks? Yeah, that's not a fair question. Um, they're done and, and completed. Um, I do think, think the environment changes uh, here going forward. And um, for the aviation industry, um, balance sheets that can withstand uh, moments like this, because I'm just going to guess this is not the last one uh, we'll, that we'll ever face. Um, I think there'll be a reassessment of what balance sheets need to look like, not unlike the banks uh, post-08 and 09. Um, I don't want balance sheets to be regulated in any way, and I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's fair. But it's a natural course for all of us to think about that, um, and I think we will. So, so Dave, when you just in, in closing, I'll just ask you, are Boeing's best days behind it, in your view? Or it, do you, will you be there to see a return to the, the, better, the best days in, in Boeing's existence? And it, do you believe that? Yeah, Joe, I have, I have incredible confidence here, and I I always try to remind everybody there are two suppliers in the world for these big airplanes. Um, demand for uh, air travel, in my view, while it's going to pause for a moment, it's going to crawl back, and it's going to uh, continue its growth in the future. The industry was supply-constrained for the last half a decade. I think it will be supply-constrained again, and I think these two, two suppliers are both going to um, enjoy great futures. I also uh, love the number of technologies that we continue to develop uh, and how we'll deploy those in the, in the name of air mobility in the future. So I think our, our commercial business is going to be solid. Our defense business is going to be solid in the futures with respect to air mobility are sort of as, as big as the eye can see. For now, we are just focused on our people and the production system and keeping it going and staying warm for the recovery. Great. I, I, I don't, we haven't even talked about the 737 Max and when it comes back. Yeah, that, this is unbelievable what's happened to, to the entire world in the last, obviously, in the last uh, three months or whatever it is. Any update on, on the 737 Max? Is that even on the radar right now, so to speak? Well, it, it, yes, of course, it's on the radar every day. Um, that program continues to, to go well. The FAA, I, I'm inspired by the work of the FAA. They are. Uh, they're actually uh, uh, putting the time and energy into this process. Uh, we are working virtually uh, almost across the board. I think you guys have pointed out many times this airplane flies every day because we're repositioning airplanes all the time. Uh, the test protocols, and I, I went through one with, uh, with, on, on a flight in Seattle and not uh, uh, recently. The test protocols are amazing. The airplane is performing, and we're very close to the finish line. So my confidence is just where it was before, and our timeline uh, remains, uh, which is mid-year. Uh, Dave, 
Before you go, I did want to ask you about uh, Nikki Haley's decision to resign uh, from the board, protesting the potential for a bailout or the government stepping into a role to help the company. Um, can you speak about the conversations you had with her? And do you believe that she um, uh, performed her fiduciary duty to shareholders and to the company by making the decision she did? Well, I don't want to cast a legal opinion. Let me just first say uh, Nikki has been a big fan and supporter of the Boeing company. Um, our plant in South Carolina, uh, largely uh, when she was the governor of the, of the state, is a phenomenal plant. Our people are fantastic. The, the startup of that facility and execution has been, I think, a testament to American industrial spirit. So a lot of credit there. Nikki has been a great member. Uh, when, when a philosophical argument encumbers your ability to um, uh, help the board uh, represent itself to the government, it, you have to make that decision. Um, so that's what she did, uh, and, uh, and now we're moving on. So uh, anyway, I think, that's, I think it's as simple as that, and uh, uh, the Boeing Company is going to be fine. We have a fantastic board, and I wish her the best. Dave Calhoun, thank you very much for, uh, for, for coming on this morning and answering uh, all our questions. And, and we hope we can do this uh, again soon. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot more to talk about in a month or two. But thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah, I look, I look forward to it. And say thank, thanks to all of you. Okay, uh, Dave and Phil, yeah. both, uh, thank you to you as well. If you are interested in hearing more from David Calhoun, you can search the feed of this podcast for his two previous appearances when he became board chairman in October of last year and as Boeing's new CEO in January. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And that's Squawk Pod for today. On our rundown tomorrow, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard, the regional bank leader, predicted we could see 30% unemployment in the U.S. in the coming months. We'll dig into those numbers and maybe look for a silver lining. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Yes, they are anchoring while social distancing, but please still tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod, available for free wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.